think the system is is broken and i i believe that we probably were not seeing it even when it was ha happening because i honestly think that COVID has almost been the process that's ripped off the scab i personally think sarah that the combination of big tech and big pharma and big government across the globe has been altering without our recognizing it our world view carbon 60 or c60 first gained notoriety back in 2012 from a study that increased the lifespan of rats by a whopping 90 percent since that breakthrough study, scientists have conducted thousands of studies showing C60 not only has a very real potential exciting lifespan, but it also has been shown to be better than any other substance ever studied to reduce inflammation, eliminate free radicals, provide powerful antioxidants, and more. After the famous rat study, scientists at Live Longer Labs realized a human, not industrial, formula needed to be made. That's when they set out to be the first lab in the world to focus on what is best for human consumption of C60. This led Live Longer Labs to pioneer a high-quality, 99.9% .9 pure C60 refined without solvents in oils that work best for humans, and that is black seed oil. Look it up yourself. Black seed oil has been known as a universal healer for millennia, and more modern studies confirmed its benefits as a potent antioxidant and for anti-inflammation. Simply, it's not like other oils. It's better. To try this amazing product, go to sarahwestall.com under shop. Remember, members of Ebeneer save 10% and all listeners can save 5% using the coupon found at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Dr. Scott Jensen and I have Bobby Bounds joining the program. I had Ivor Cummins who was going to come as well, but he had a time zone issue. He's over in Europe. But I got these two great people and we're going to talk about what the data is showing about this big scam and fraud and what we can do about it. You know, uh, Dr. Scott Jensen is running for governor in Minnesota, so he's a little bit more, he's a politician. He's very, he's, he's very good at not, not, I don't think I'd ever win a political race because I just say it like it is. These people need to go to prison, blah, we got to figure this out. And that would scare too many people and then they wouldn't ever elect me. And he's like, okay, well, this is what we need to do and whatever. I'm not sure if there's a political solution for all of this. I think that perhaps the system needs to fail and we need to build something new, yeah. which is what I advocate. I really think there needs to be new systems in place because I think it's so broken that I'm not sure if it's fixable. But uh, we do need good people in place to help that process along because I think that this will become even more apparent to people as, I mean, because we still have these these death protocols in the hospitals. We still have this going on today and they're still cramming this down our throats and they're not done with doing this, doing this to us. So the whole system, you know, I have uh, Dr. Pete Glidden on, we're talking about what kind of new systems do we need? And I really believe that's the direction we need to go, but we need to expose and people need to understand what's really going on. And I think this is a really important discussion about really showing the underbelly of the fraud and what really is occurring so that people can make a difference. Okay, so there's going to be Dana on my website and links and so forth on the show page. So you can go there at sarahwestall.com. And while you're there, please sign up for my newsletter. I always want um, you to remember that when you go to my website because that's where you're going to get updates on everything that's going on. 
And if you have not seen my show with uh, Ian Mitchell and Philip Seymour, please go and watch that show. That, I believe, is just the most promising solution to deal with the damage that people are seeing. You know, it's, it's cutting at bleeding edge technology and we need a lot more people studying it, but time is not on our side for the damage that has been done on, in a lot of people's bodies. And I want you to see the blood images that just show you how amazing the promises of this technology. And we need top, we need the people everywhere to get involved with this. There's a private telegram chat group where people get involved and really start learning from each other and get this out to people. So anyways, remember to look for that. And let's get into this really good conversation with Dr. Scott Jensen and Bobby Bounds. Hi, Bobby and Dr. Scott Jensen. Thank you so much for joining this program. Sarah, thank you, Sarah, thank you so much uh, for inviting me. Any conversation that we're going to have that puts in perspective what's gone on in the world over the last 24 months is critically important. So I appreciate uh, your activism and involvement. Well, thank you. And thank you for coming on. I know we were expecting Ivor Cummins, too, who is just an amazing voice in the, the wilderness here. But I think he had a time zone issue. So we'll get him um, tied into this show if he can, if he can come. And I'll, I'll even put him in later if he comes on because he's just so important to add to the conversation. But I, I want to ask you, you're running for governor of Minnesota. And you've been a hero in our in the world with this. It's not people know you around the world. It's not just in Minnesota. You have been a a target of five different investigations on your medical license because you spoke the truth. And now that it's two years later, we know based on the science that what you said was accurate. So what do you think that says about the system and where we're at? I think the system is, is broken. And I, I believe that we probably, we probably were not seeing it even when it was ha happening. Because I honestly think that COVID has almost been the process that's ripped off the scab. I personally think, Sarah, that the combination of big tech and big pharma and big mm -hmm. government across the globe has been altering without our recognizing it, our worldview. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID came along and I don't see myself as any kind of heroic voice as much as I see myself as a, a family doctor who was raised in, in a home that we always cherished in our home skepticism. My dad was always encouraging us kids to look at things from a different perspective, ask questions, be willing to be skeptical. And, and that's really how my role, if you will, evolved during this COVID pandemic. I simply raised my hand when I received an email from the Department of Health in Minnesota that was encouraging me to do things differently in terms of how I would if you will, establish the precise cause of death for a given patient. I was being told that because of COVID-19, the rules or the recommendations had changed. And if COVID was thought to be a contributing condition, don't put it down as a contributing condition. Put it down as a cause of death. And when I raised my hand and said, hold it, you're corrupting our system. You're going to compromise the value of the data. I thought that I would get sort of a pat on the back and say, hey, doc, Thanks for doing that. We'll fix this. 
but nothing happened. I just heard crickets. And two months later, my license was being investigated. And, and you're right, Sarah, I've been investigated now five times, each time from anonymous accusers, determining from the conversations I've had with the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, I believe that none of these accusers have ever met me. They've never been patients of mine. They're simply angry with the fact that I've been skeptical and I've, if you will, spoken to a different narrative, a narrative that says that what many of these policy decisions have been, have been misguided. And I'm not trying to be mean-spirited or nasty. I just think that they haven't worked and we haven't been learning in real time what is a good policy move and what's a bad policy move. And that means people around the globe have suffered. So thank you for asking that question. I went from the Minnesota Doctor of the Year in 2016. Now I wear the badge that I'm the most investigated doctor in Minnesota. <laughs> it, it can flip on you very quickly. I always say that just telling the truth. I always say in, in times of you know, these kind of times, just telling the truth makes you a hero. And I'll, people just have to stand up and see what they're seeing. It's kind of odd that there isn't more people, but Bobby, you have been one of those people that have stood up. And I'm so glad that uh, Dr. Jensen, that you noticed Bobby's work because he's been identifying the death certificates in New Mexico. Now we need that all over the country, but the tie-in between uh, Bobby's data and the fact that they've been paying for COVID tests and remdesivir and, and deaths and going on a ventilator, we're starting to realize all this money that's going out tied into the fact that <clears throat> not all these should have been COVID. But what do you think that says, Bobby, about what your data is bringing forward? Well, smart people that were paying attention long before I was in early 2020 already knew that there was a great fraud afoot. They, they didn't have the data, but they were tied into enough of what's going on in the healthcare uh, industry and so forth. And uh, so I thought, Wow, you know, if if we can get a hold of some empirical data to support what was generally known by those in the know that the COVID scamdemic pandemic was exaggerated through the numbers, <clears throat> then that would help these people in their struggle. You know, look, I've got hard data. And the exaggeration of COVID deaths, for example, begins at the point of death with the filling out of the death certificate by the attending physician or whomever. So, so I, I got fortunate. I, did, did, I, be, I signed up to be a researcher and I was able to get redacted uh, death certificate data. And um, my analysis, not being a medical person, but just, just from a layperson's analysis of the cause of death ICD-10 codes on the death certificate, anybody with common sense could see that uh, a great number of the deaths marked COVID, very likely these people, uh, not one minute of their life was shortened due to symptoms from 
an upper respiratory infection. And so I, I don't know if I answered your question there, but. Well, and I'll, I'll have uh, Scott finish this. Where does this go from here? Because now, you know, with that data, with the pay, the, the, the enormous sums of money, I mean, we got to get more than just New Mexico, but it's a really indication of what's going around in the country because the patterns are the same. What, where do we take it from here? Because it is the, it's like a smoking gun. We have the data to show that they fraudulently claim these people died of COVID. Now they're getting paid exorbitant sums of money. I mean, where does this go from here as far as holding people accountable for something that destroyed 40% of businesses. I, I, I mean, the untold damage to children, I mean, it goes on and on. What do we do from here? Let me work backwards from your question, Sarah. Where we go from here has to be at some level similar to what Bobby has done in New Mexico. We have to have that audit, which can help yeah. us, if you will, demand accountability. I'm not interested in being mean-spirited or extracting a pound of flesh or identifying a scapegoat. But we have seen decision-making repeatedly that was flawed and was readily, information was readily available that we knew that this was not good decision-making and it was made nevertheless. I think what Bobby has shown us in the New Mexico data is just what you said. This is not a singular one-off data uh, blob. This is most likely representative of what we're seeing across the nation. But let me go back a step. If you look at March, April, May, and June of 2020, in those first few months, the lockdowns were occurring. There was a spirit in America of, I want to do my part. If this is what we need to do in order to, if you will, meet those twin objectives of flattening the curve and not overwhelming our healthcare facilities. That that narrative then was something that people said, okay, I'll try to help with. But very quickly, one of the first things I saw was an absolute willingness to throw out data from the prior 19 years, where all of a sudden, the studies that had been done that had shown that mask wearing doesn't prevent you from getting respiratory diseases such as influenza. We had authorities saying, don't wear masks wear masks. Well, don't wear masks, but if you're going to wear a mask, wear this kind of mask. Literally buying into the whole full Monty saying, you got to wear a mask all the time, even if you're outside. We saw such an obliteration of meaningful data over two prior decades. And this went on and on. Even social distancing at six feet was not necessarily an assumed and data-driven decision. In Europe, distancing in terms of illness was frequently one meter or 39 inches. But in America, all of a sudden, six feet was the, the mantra. Then we found out that because of these vortices and the wind spirals, that if someone was exercising, maybe we should stay 32 feet away from one another. And what you saw was this tremendous crumbling of faith in public health. So now in the midst of arguably our nation's biggest health crisis in 100 years, we were seeing an absolute fracture of the public trust. When you put on top of that, 
people like you, Sarah, myself, Ivory Cummins, Scott Antlis, Jay Budachara, Harvey Reese, Peter McCullough, being just bludgeoned because we were saying something different. Now, I think it was clear. Game on. This literally is way bigger than simply a respiratory virus. Now we're talking about if you speak the wrong narrative, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yep. If you speak the conventional narrative, you're one of the good guys. And we saw this unfold over 24 months. And I think we are at a spot right now where we're seeing the CDC acknowledge almost mistakes on a weekly basis. You're seeing the New York Times, a left-leaning media source, coming against the CDC. You're seeing people say what Bobby Bounds has said when he takes his raw look at data and he says, we have got to audit this, we have got to examine this, and this has to be the tool by which we demand accountability. This is where we're at today. Well, I love your answer here because I think that's exactly what we've been seeing. But we've had so much trauma and the numbers coming out of England 64 times or 62 or 64 I apologize I don't know but still around that number of un, or vaccinated children are dying at 62 or 64 times the rate of unvaccinated children I just saw this morning that there were 800,000 adverse reactions that put children from 5 to 11 in the hospital and then we had 40% of our you know, businesses go out of business. I mean, there's just this enormous damage to people. And the expose just put out uh, a big article and I published it this past week that showed that governments are saying, okay, we are, and this is all over the world, we are no longer gonna publish this data because people are interpreting it wrong, right? Well, I don't know how you interpret 62 times wrong. And, and so there's this obvious, cover-up now the dod tom rents came forward with that and that's a pretty obvious cover-up and they showed data before to data now and they're doing it all over the world what do you think of that scott and i want to get to bobby as well but scott what do you think of that and the fact that we're seeing now evidence of a mass cover-up and they're saying the data doesn't matter anymore because the vaccine was so good i mean it's just it's these messages I think what Tom Renz has exposed and what you're discussing has absolutely been happening. I know that in Minnesota, in the first six to nine months, we saw this Minnesota Department of Health dashboard change. And I remember one specific metric that had been followed by many people, including myself, was the seven-day trailing average of cases. Well, at one point in time, one could see that the data was looking much better, that we were moving in the right direction, that some of these draconian policies did not have to continue to be followed, that we didn't need to make law-abiding citizens into lawbreakers simply because they wanted to keep their business going and pay their families' bills. We could move more quickly. And they took it off of their dashboard, the Minnesota Department of Health, because they felt that there were other metrics that might help people understand the situation better. I think what we were hearing was code language for, listen, 
we're afraid that you're going to look at this data and draw conclusions that we don't want you to draw. That's exactly what we're seeing right now. And that's exactly what the New York Times has called out. They're saying that the CDC has been withholding information and the CDC representatives have acknowledged it, that they were afraid that the way it would be interpreted would be inconsistent with what they wanted the message to be. We're seeing it in Scotland, where Scotland has come out saying, you know, we've tried to be forthright with sharing data, but we're not going to continue this. We are going to have to pull back. It's astonishing that in this world, United States citizens have had to look to Israel and to England and to Portugal and to Iceland over and over again for data that has been untarnished by manipulative hands. And to your point about the VAERS data, never in my medical career of 40 years have I seen the VAERS data so willingly dismissed as being valuable. We have always used the VAERS data as the canary in the coal mine. It's the thing that's going to help us recognize that something's going wrong. And yet the VAERS data has been absolutely dismissed. We've not had any conversations about this metric called quality or Q-A-L-Y, quality adjusted living years. If we would look at quality adjusted living years based on some of the data that Bobby Bounds has put forward, we would see that the great majority, the great, great majority of the deaths being attributed to COVID-19 are being attributed to people who live beyond their expected life expectancy. If we look at the collateral damage of having 20 and 25 year olds dying of mental health crises and things like that, and we say, what did we lose in having 50 to 60 years of a person's life washed away versus someone who is potentially on hospice care with stage four colon cancer and then being identified as a COVID-19 death because in the last 24 hours of their lives, they had been exposed to someone with COVID, but nevertheless, they clearly died from colon cancer. What are we missing here? Why are we so hell-bent on being foolish when it, when it comes down to looking at the big picture? That's exactly right. The, I think the left is starting to, classical liberals, if you will, not the left, but the classical liberals who have been strong voices in that community are coming out and saying, wait a minute, we have 364 times, at least this is what they reported out of Florida, so it's a varying of children with speech delays because of the masks, and we have, you know, mental health crisis, we have all these things, so they're coming forward and saying, uh, this is not okay, and so I think the world is starting to unite in this way, and Bobby, your data is really going to help people unite too, because data is not partisan, I mean, it's not partisan. It's just, this is the data. And one thing that you said, Bobby, was that the hospital administration, that this was a fraud that was happening before and they were coding things in order to get paid more, but now it went on steroids. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that is a big, a big component to unraveling how this has turned into a nightmare of, I mean, paid to, I, I, you know, it really is pay to kill in, in a lot of ways because they're doing protocols. You know, you have Dr. McCullough and other doctors having these beautiful protocols that save almost everyone. And then the hospital are using these protocols where you're lucky to get 50% out alive. 
So your data shows that there's a huge monetary incentive to not use the protocols that work. Right, Sarah. So you started a few minutes ago about the vaccine injury uh, conversation uh, at vaccine adverse events. And that's a huge subject in and of itself. Preceding that was the exaggerated pandemic, if that's what you want to call it. So the, the inflated COVID deaths, hospitalizations, and cases, if they had not done that, there would have never been the frenzy for the vaccines. So, <clears throat> and I like to make that distinction. I'm obviously pointing out stuff that's quite obvious, but if, if they weren't allowed to get away with the fraudulent exaggeration of illness and death, they could have yep. never gotten the yep. uh, needle in every arm operation off the ground. So I think it's valuable to keep that as a distinction. So what you have here is a huge uh, financial operation causing great panic in society and politicians reacting typically as politicians do. And you have massive amounts of public monies released into the system, artificial creating massive perverse incentive throughout the system to get everybody to go along, to get along, to get a piece of the action. So I'm trying to answer your question, but so now you've got a hospital system that has bills to pay, very, very expensive daily dollars per day to run a big hospital. It's, it's off the charts, expensive to fill that building, you know, with trained people and all the technology. And it's just unbelievable how expensive it is to run a hospital. So they got bills to pay and they've been working in a United States healthcare system for decades. That's, you know, we, we, we don't want to really go into that too deeply, but, you know, uh, with, with Medicare and the whole system of reimbursement and people who can't pay for the care and the care being highly inflated price-wise. So you have lots of pre-existing issues in the United States healthcare system and along comes CARES Act money, $100 billion or something to that effect. And uh, I've, got a, I've got the printed list with me today of the amount each state got for each COVID admission. And Minnesota, yeah, I've got, if you want me to bring it up on the screen? I'd like I to will. see that. Why don't you just tell yeah. us and then send me that and then I'll, I'll plug it in. Okay, well, yeah, for example, Minnesota, every state got a different amount depending on their Medicare contribution or something, something to that effect. But Minnesota got $380,000 for every COVID admission. New Mexico got 171,000. New York only got like 76,000. And it was some formula the government used. Different states got different amounts. Could Sarah, I weigh in on what Bobby just said? Absolutely. And I was going to ask you a question on that too. What does that say about our system? Go ahead, Scott. Thank you, Bobby, for exploring this question because it's important. Early on, when it was clear that there were financial incentives being utilized, 
to enhance the likelihood of diagnosing COVID-19. I pointed out that we would see a certain catfight among policymakers to get a bigger chunk of the money. So let me just say something. First off, there is no increased reimbursement to hospitals, clinics, or doctors based on death certificates. Nobody gets paid on a death certificate. It's important for people to realize hospitals and doctors get paid on discharge summary diagnoses in the hospital or whatever we code on a charge slip in our clinic. So if I would code U07.1, which is COVID-19, on my clinic charge slip, in most situations, that patient's bill would be completely covered by either their insurance or the government. In the same way, if a hospital discharge attending physician on his or her discharge summary would put down COVID-19, the hospital would potentially be eligible for increased dollars, but it had nothing to do with the death certificate. Then along came the CARES Act, and what Bobby is referring to is in the first tranche of dollars that was distributed out of the two uh, trillion dollars of CARES money, that was allocated based on the conventional formula for Medicare expenditures the year prior. Well, in that situation, you were seeing the East Coast getting a lot more cases or in some situations, deaths from COVID versus Minnesota and New Mexico. So the money went out based not on the number of cases or the number of deaths. It went out on the formula based on Medicare expenditures from a previous year prior to COVID. Well, that meant that Minnesota with its very few COVID deaths divided into the total number of dollars. Again, they were getting 380,000 or whatever Bobby identified, while in New York with so many deaths, they were getting less. So what happened next? Exactly what you would expect. We saw US Congress men and women and US senators from the East Coast screaming, hey, you need to pay us more because we're bearing the brunt of this COVID pandemic. The second tranche, the high impact distribution of dollars coming from the CARES Act responded to that concern. And without telling hospitals necessarily the rules of the game, from approximately January 1st, 2020 to June 10th, 2020, if a hospital system could hit 161 discharge summaries with COVID on it, they would get a supplemental amount of money yeah, on top of okay. what had already been paid. And that was approximately $77,000 per patient. So at that point in time, you've now created a situation where you have winners and losers. And in Minnesota, I think we had like a dozen hospital systems that were able to hit that threshold. Many other hospital systems had no idea that such a set of rules was in play. Because had they known, they might have been more ambitious about making certain that every patient was checked with a PCR test to see if there was some way that they could identify COVID-19 on that discharge summary to get to that magic number of 161. This is just a microcosm of what went on over and over again with the dollars regarding the COVID pandemic. We saw a given situation when, when we saw the government come out, the federal government come out and say, if your death certificate says COVID-19, we will allocate $9,000 to that family for burial costs. That drove families to call me as a family doctor in the trenches and say, Dr. Jensen, our loved one died of 
congestive heart failure or emphysema. But if you could switch it to COVID, oh, we would get some money to help pay for the funeral costs. Will you do that? And I would say, no, absolutely not. But this is how crazy, how absolutely bizarre our policies were. And I think Bobby's work is uncovering the raw nature of what you really need to do is two things. Remember this, whatever you incentivize, you will get more of. Yes. And when it comes down to how do you follow it down the rabbit hole, follow the money. Well, the concern I have, you know, I have friends and relatives and things that have gone into the hospital who had no COVID. They weren't I just, I just had a friend, you know, he's he, Donald Jeffries, whose brother died, and he tells the story. He wasn't even sick. He fell or something. And next thing you know, he has COVID. Next thing you know, he's on remdesivir and a ventilator, and he dies. And he's like, I, don't, I couldn't go see him, so I couldn't figure it out. And he just fell. I mean, he didn't even. So the problem with a perverse set of, of payout schemes is some of these hospitals were incented to create COVID patients that didn't exist, kind of like your patients wanting the money for the funerals. You know, they didn't, it wasn't COVID, but these hospitals had such a great incentive that I fear that this is causing the hospitals not to do the proper protocols. I mean, because why are they not doing the proper protocols that save lives at this point? Why is the CDC still saying that's the protocol to use? Why are there people going in the hospitals without COVID and then end up dying with COVID in the hospital? I mean, what is, what is going on? It's like this perverse system. I mean, people like me who are watching it, my jaw is dropped thinking that there's the whole world is upside down and some evil something took over. I mean, I don't, I've never seen this in my life. So, so what can yeah. you address this? Because it's, I am not the only one. I think that so many people are seeing this when their loved ones die. It's just this, people are really angry. So how do we deal with this and what's going on? I have to sign off in a few minutes. So I'd love to respond to your, to your comment. This is what I said earlier in our podcast that we're seeing a phenomenon in COVID that's exposing a process that has been in place that we just didn't recognize. Yeah. We're seeing more and more government-driven, big pharma, big tech, big government-driven healthcare. In real time, we saw that ventilators weren't the valuable intervention for COVID patients that we initially thought it would be. The fact of the matter is the fatality rate with ventilator use went from 40% to 80% on the East Coast and physicians got it. We got to back off. In the same way, initially, remdesivir had some data that people thought this might be the holy grail. But as the data unfolded, it became clear that it wasn't the holy day, the holy grail, and that significant unintended consequences, particularly in regards to renal damage, was occurring. If you go back to 1976, I think this is really important. In 1976, in Pennsylvania, there was this thing called Legionnaire's disease. And it broke out in 1976. We, nobody expected it, but there was a, an American Legion convention. I think it was in Philadelphia. People were there for several days. They went home and people were getting pneumonia and they were dying. And doctors did their best treating these patients with the best antibiotics we had. And patients continued to die. What did we do? 
We did not call Tony Fauci. We did not rely on bureaucrats. We did not go to the federal government. As physicians and patients, we kept on talking. We kept on exploring, trying things. And doctors tried an old-fashioned antibiotic called erythromycin. And lo and behold, it turned the tide. That's how medicine should be done. What we're seeing with this COVID pandemic is we're seeing rules and regulations. We're seeing physicians, if you speak against the conventional narrative and say that you want to recommend vitamin C, D, zinc, if you have the audacity to use two dirty words such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, you can expect your license to get investigated. We've never done this before in healthcare. We've, in this country, we've always honored the opportunity for physicians and patients to talk things over. 30 to 40% of my prescribing is off label. I'm accustomed to doing this. I talk with my patients, but all of a sudden in the midst of COVID pandemic, we had people telling us that if the CDC, FDA and Tony Fauci didn't approve of it, we better not be doing it. This is why people are angry. We may well have people die that didn't need to die. We may well have held on to interventions and technologies that had already been demonstrated to not be what we've been led to believe. It doesn't matter if you're talking about policies such as masks or even the efficacy of the vaccines or social distancing or whether or not you're talking about vitamin C, D, zinc, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin versus remdesivir and ventilators. The fact of the matter is we got upside down. We had bureaucrats and politicians determining what patients could avail themselves of as they tried to get over this. And patients were left with a brutal choice. They were left with get over COVID on your own or wait until you get so sick that you have to be in the hospital. And at that point in time, you will lose control of your life. And a lot of the options that you would like to explore will no longer be yep. available to you. And that will go down as part of the legacy of this COVID pandemic for which Americans should be embarrassed. Yes, we should be. Well, I am so thankful that you two spent time with us today. I could probably spend hours with you, Scott. I just, and Bobby and I have talked a lot, but I just, um, I so much appreciate your fight. I know you're running for governor of Minnesota. How can people support you? Because we need someone like you in office doing this fight for the people. I mean, this is a fight that is not partisan. And I keep saying this over and over. This is a humanity. This is a human fight. So how can people support you? And from all over the country, we need someone like you in office. So how can people support you? First off, I would encourage each one of us, let's be the patriots that we are. We're literally in a struggle for our very freedom. Yes. Our website is drscottjensen.com, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-J-E-N-S-E-N.com. Ideally, a campaign should be a transparent opportunity for a relationship to be built between the candidate and the constituents. So I would love people to learn more about us. But I think the most important thing, Sarah, is encourage the efforts of people like Bobby Bounds when he says, I wanna do a clean, hands-off, unbiased examination of data. Because if I'm finding this in New Mexico, I suspect we can find it in Minnesota, Texas, yeah. Colorado, Florida, Kentucky. We need to elevate that data because it's only in doing so that we're going to get the ultimate thing that we must have, and that has to be accountability. I'm not asking for anyone to be mean-spirited, but if we don't 
glean from this crisis all that we could. We are fools because this will happen again. If you stretch a rubber band beyond its normal compliance, that rubber band will never go back to normal. And that's what all of us have a fear of, is that if the government, if bureaucrats, if, if they can do it once, they'll do it again. And we need to take safeguards and measures to make sure this never happens again. Well, don't we have to get the criminals out of the system too? Because yeah. I, this is not just people who made bad decisions. Some of them, yes, and maybe the majority, but there are definitely crimes here. Sarah, I, can't, I can't disagree with you, but I do need to sign off. Thank you both so much. And God, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, let's just close out, uh, Bobby. I wish I had him for hours. He didn't, he did say that uh, he only had 45 minutes and we were waiting a little bit at the beginning because we were supposed to have Ivor and I think he had the wrong time zone, but you have more data. Now you have a website that's up. Can you tell people where they can go to look at this data? Because I've said this from the beginning with you that this data is so important and we need to do, we need to get people like you across the country doing this analysis. Sure, there's not much there at the moment at demandevidence.us, uh, there will be more, but uh, within that website and your site is the, are the links to the, the two part podcast you did with me a month or so ago and within that yep, and i'll link to that yeah within that there's a, a lot of meat especially in part two if people are interested in the actual analysis of death certificate data if they feel like that's something that they're you know uh, interested in and if you want me to share my screen i can show you that financial data if you're interested now yeah, let's do that quick. Just take a minute and look at this slide here. I uh, People don't like staring at numbers, but if you live in Minnesota, uh, I want people who live in a certain state to get their head around what's been claimed regarding the so-called COVID pandemic in their state. Minnesota, 5.7 million population, so not a huge state, you know, compared to California, what, 40 million, Florida, you know, 25, 30 million. So Minnesota claims over 5,800 souls in 2020 perished from symptoms caused by the thing they're calling COVID-19, which is not even a disease, it's just a, it's a cold description now. of systems. It's just a description of systems, uh, symptoms uh, allegedly based on the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But regardless, uh, if people can start thinking in terms of these numbers, you know, if you wanna talk about vaccine injury or vaccine efficacy, let's talk about that for a second. So look at the, 5,834 COVID deaths from 2020 versus 5,138 in 2021. So that's not a big difference. So in 2021, we had the vaccine and there was only 700 overall fewer deaths from COVID. So, you know, 
in 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 New Mexico, it's flipped. There's actually more about the same. It's actually about the same deaths between those two years. So in New Mexico, there was no signal for vaccine effectiveness between the year we didn't have the vaccine and the year we had the vaccine. Okay, so that's what you're getting at is you get the vaccine, there's no difference. Yeah, and we know that. It's just the data is now showing it. It's proving it. Right. And they're still right. getting paid through the nose for it. I, you know, uh, Scott Jensen is such a gentleman. Um, I, I, if I was, um, I probably would never get elected because I'd be like, oh, we got to take these criminals down. But I, I think that we're looking at mass genocide, you know, mass genocide kind of thing paid to kill scheme. And I, I don't know how we can look at it any differently. And I know he knows that. And I know a lot of people know that they just have to walk delicately and be a little bit more political than I would be. But we're looking at some serious crime here and it's still going on and we need to clean this up. Like he said, if we don't clean it up, it's going to happen again. And that's the concern that I have. Now, can people get, when can people get access to this data that you have? Well, that's, that's data.cdc.gov. It takes about five minutes to download okay. the file in Excel and filter for yeah, it's just CDC in. data. As long as they don't alter it, it's the legit data. I know that they altered it when I looked at it about a year and a half ago. I was appalled. So even looking at potentially altered data, it's showing that there's a major issue here. Uh, I'm going to get you the first thing we discussed here, which was the state by state. Oh, yes. This is what I wanted to see. All right. This comes from the Becker's Hospital CFO report. It's just their weekly newsletter, I think. State-by-state state breakdown of federal aid per COVID-19 case. And this is what Scott Jensen was saying was before they started allocating money differently and the, the whole incentive process just went totally out of whack. Yeah, and this was this is an old article. This goes back to yes. early 20. And the, the, there was, three, I think, three total rounds or four rounds of funding, which have now occurred. But the grants, you'll see here, as we alphabetically go through the states, how much uh, each uh, ho the hospital got for each COVID uh, DRG code, discharge code, if they marked it, uh, the patient as having had COVID. And so this is alphabetical by state. And here's Minnesota at comes in at 380,000. And um, like Dr. Jensen said, the less populous states got more money. Look here, New Jersey only got 18,000. That's because they had per. so many of them. Yeah. And that makes sense. It's per, and then they changed it up. I could see, I mean, his explanation of what happened and then it really got perverted. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do a link to this article as well. And then, um, Bobby, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. If we can get Ivor Cummins to come on, maybe we do an uh, interview and we'll just have him and you on and we'll get that going. Cause I know that you have a lot of questions that you would like him to answer as well. And he's very well respected worldwide. So 
I think that a lot of people would like to hear what he has to say when it comes to this. I, I would like his answer response to the expose article on all the countries that are covering up the data. And it's in line with what Tom Rents has produced for the Department of Defense. I mean, we have to get past this. We know what's behind all this stuff, but we got to get to the data so that we can um, we can start taking care of it. Right. I mean, we just, we got to put an end to this because people are still dying and this is enough is enough. We all know that, but I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what to say. It's such an incredible situation. People even going into the hospital anymore. They don't know what to do. It's just a, it's a nightmare on steroids, but I appreciate it so much. Tell us what your website is again. Demandevidence.us. Okay. Thank you so much, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.